Welcome to an audio stream from San Marino Community Church, featuring our own pastoral staff and various guest speakers. Well, it's not often that Easter falls on April Fool's Day. And I know the Apostle Paul says we have to be willing to be fools for Christ, but I fear these children that were here a few moments ago, the last thing they'll remember of their pastor was <laughs> flossing on April Fool's Day. We now have an opportunity to listen for God's word as it comes to us from the Gospel of John, this report on what happened that first Easter morning. I invite you to listen for God's word. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. Well, then Peter and the other disciple set out and went towards the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. And then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord. I do not know where they've laid him. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? For whom are you looking Now, supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Then Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned, and she said to him in Hebrew, Rabbani, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I've not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? And so, dear God, as we come this Easter morning and we travel with those first disciples in the darkness of that day, we ask that by your grace, the light of eternity would shine upon us. For we pray in Christ's name. 
Amen. John Claypool tells the story about a little bank in central Kentucky. Several years ago, a prominent group of farmers had founded the bank. But the very idea of a bank in this small town was regarded with some suspicion by the local residents at first. But gradually, they began to show confidence because they knew the directors of the bank And they began to entrust their savings and their resources to the local bank. By 1928, most of the economy of that little community in central Kentucky revolved around that little bank. But then came the stock market crash of 1929, which led to the Great Depression. And word spread quickly that Monday morning, the doors of that bank would be closed and everything would be lost. Naturally, panic gripped the community. Early that morning, before sunrise, a group gathered outside of that little bank, and they watched despairingly as the directors went in for a fateful meeting. Everything hung on two questions that morning. What could the directors do, and what would the directors do? I mean, did they personally have enough outside resources to make up the deficit for that bank? And even if they did, would they do it? Not being legally bound to have to do it, would they? Well, time just seemed to stand still for those people who had everything at stake in that bank. And then, promptly at opening time, to their unbelieving eyes, the bank actually opened. The shade went up on the door, the door was unlocked, and instantly everyone in that community knew what that meant. The bank had withstood the crisis. The controlling powers of that bank had answered affirmatively those two questions about power and the willingness to use it. And in the act of opening that door, the spirits of that entire community were lifted. And the actual nature of that institution was revealed. So the shade went up on Easter morning in John's report that I just read. Jesus had both the power and the willingness to withstand the crisis. And his nature was revealed when that shade went up. This is what God could do with what happened. He could open a door. He could remove the stone. He could open up the way towards a future without fear, filled with joy and with possibilities beyond our imagination. You see, for John's gospel, the same power that was unleashed in the creation itself became unleashed in the recreation that takes place in the resurrection. I suspect many of you saw, as I did, the Wall Street Journal article yesterday entitled The Easter Effect. In it, it read, quote, By the early 4th century, Christians likely counted for between a quarter and a half of the population of the Roman Empire. 
and their exponential growth seemed likely to continue. How did this happen? asks the author. He goes on to describe how Constantine in the 4th century removed an impediment for Christians to be part of the empire, become the religion of the state, and it suggests that Constantine wasn't so much a believer in all of this as an astute politician. He could see that the winds of change had blown in a different direction. But the article argues this, quote, There is no accounting for the rise of Christianity without weighing the revolutionary effect on those nobodies of what they called the resurrection. Their encounter with the one whom they embraced as the risen Lord, end quote. So for the article, the Easter effect is everything to do with the resurrection of Jesus and the believers who lived differently as a result of their belief in that resurrection. The Easter effect, it's had a huge impact on world history. But the question today is whether the Easter effect has had any effect on you and me. Craig Barnes writes that John tells us in this story that for a while there was a lot of running back and forth to the tomb. And he says, this is apparently what disciples always do when Jesus is missing. We run around a lot. I like that description of anxious scurrying about that characterizes so much of the activity of our lives when we lose Jesus. Not just our lives, but the lives of churches. When Jesus is missing, we run for our lives and life loses significance and meaning and we just fill it with activity. When we run for our lives, when we feel like life is meaningless and goes nowhere and has no plot line, a pointless exercise. But we can stop running away from what we fear and instead we can run towards the future with determination and with purpose. Not long ago, I visited a man in his home who was dying. He was surrounded by his wife and children and grandchildren, and he was being cared for by hospice nurses who were there to ease his pain, support his healing. We anointed him for his journey home with oil and the sign of a cross on his forehead. And following his death... His wife shared with me a helpful distinction that she had come across years earlier. The distinction between cure and healing. Cure alters what is. Healing offers what might be. Cure is an act. Healing is a process. Cure seeks to conquer pain. Healing seeks to transcend pain. Cure ignores grief. Healing assumes grief. Cure rejects death and views it as a defeat. Healing includes death among the blessed outcomes of caring. Cure may occur without healing. 
and healing may occur without cure. Cure separates the body from the soul. Healing embraces the soul. Cure combats illness. Healing fosters wellness. Cure fosters function. Healing fosters purpose. Cure acts upon another. Healing shares with another. Now, cure certainly has its place. And I thank God for modern medicine that offers cures in all sorts of ways. And there are remarkable people I know in the medical profession who bring more than cures. They bring healing. I have a pastor friend who years ago entered a hospital corridor to visit a dying parishioner. And as he approached the hospital room, a physician came out of that door and closed the door behind him and said, there's nothing more to be done. And my friend turned to him and replied, well, there's nothing more to be done by you. Perhaps it was beyond the time for a cure, but it didn't mean healing can't happen. Jesus promises healing, not cure. Christ promises resurrection, not rescue. Now in the story that I've just read, Mary experiences unseen twice. She doesn't recognize those in the tomb, and then she mistakes the Lord for the gardener in the storyline. It's hard to see clearly when you're in grief and when you're eyes are filled with tears but when she hears her name called somewhere behind her it's the familiar voice of her lord and savior jesus christ she turns around she finally sees him but not as she expects to see him in that moment resurrection actually broke through into the present when Jesus called her name. This reality that is so illogical and so unthinkable and so impossible and so unnatural and so incredible breaks in to her old reality and shatters it. The coming reign of God in that moment actually came. The followers of Jesus can see through the eyes of faith that life despite death, is filled with meaning and it's a story that does not end in death. Death does not have the last word. History and life itself is headed towards a redemptive end on the other side of death. And however we understand this, Easter, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus, happened once. But the effect of it is far-reaching and forever. Now, I know what it is to experience unseen, and perhaps you do too. Most times when I'm either getting on or off the freeway, I unsee the people who are panhandling by the freeway entrance because I know that it would require some response from me to actually see them. As a grandfather, I unsmell a lot of dirty diapers. 
Been there, done that, it's your turn. I unhear the cries of the children at night and pretend to be sleeping so somebody else will get up to be with them. I even sometimes go looking for my glasses and find them sitting right on my face. Sometimes we just don't want to see or can't see what's right in front of our noses. We often are limited to seeing only what we've come to expect to see. When Jesus called her name, Mary's whole belief structure just collapsed. At the sound of her name, she was transformed into the very first witness of Easter. And that's worth noting, especially in this year when, as a country, we've been so focused on the role of women, the way women have been treated in business and in government and in our culture. Mary started a new hashtag Me Too. I have seen the Lord. The voice of Jesus across the abyss of death through a lifeline to her small logic and the power of God to work wonder in the world. The voice of Jesus shattered Mary's preconception, called her forward to new possibilities and a new future. I have seen the Lord, she told her friends. We're called to do something in life. We're called to make something of ourselves. But first and foremost, there's something we need to hear and see and receive to be able to do that. We have to hear our own name. We have to see the Lord with our own eyes. We have to confess with our own lips this astonishing joy. I too have seen the Lord. The story isn't just about what happened to Mary and these first disciples. It's about what happens to you and me. I mean, here's the thing. I don't believe today because I grew up in a family that believed. I don't believe in Christ because the church got to me early enough in life. I don't believe because someone persuaded me that the Bible is true. I don't believe because I have thought it through on my own. I believe because God's grace grabbed me and grabs me still the deepest part of my life. When I heard my name, And the Lord keeps coming after me. Even when in the midst of life, I want to, you want to run away from it all. Now Jesus tells Mary, don't don't hold on to me. We can't hold on to him. We have to learn to trust that he's holding on to us. Hanging on to the Jesus we've known can keep us from the Jesus who knows us better than we know ourselves. It's not that Jesus is just being elusive forever. It's rather that 
He's always greater than our most cherished ideas and memories of how he used to be. And only because he is too great to be grasped is he strong enough to grasp us. So Easter really isn't about just kind of squinting a little harder in order to see Jesus. Easter is about the good news that Jesus has come looking for you and me. Easter finds us. It's not the other way around. We don't find Easter. When we hear our name called, our illusions and our delusions that we create to put our life together in some shape or form just begin to fall away. It's kind of like cataracts coming off our eyes. Mary didn't need to try harder. But like all of us, she was at risk of missing what was right in front of her all the time. This figure ground shift took place for her. Perhaps you've seen those drawings that look like a candlestick. And then you look at it again and you realize, no, it actually looks like two faces that are facing each other. Or perhaps you've seen the other one that in one vision, you know, it looks a little bit like an old woman kind of bent over. And then you look at it again and the figure ground shift takes place and you see a young woman with a big hat. It's that kind of figure ground shift that takes, takes place. You're looking at the same thing, you see it differently. Easter is a figure ground shift. And it led people to see life, not death, as the final word from God. And it's the face of Jesus Christ that we see in that figure ground shift when it occurs and when we hear him call our name. Walt Whitman once sat listening to an evening lecture on astronomy. It was a boring lecture. So finally, he couldn't take it any longer, and he got up out of his chair, and he decided he'd walk out of that stuffy lecture hall and get himself a little air. So he left behind the charts, and he left behind the diagrams and what somebody was saying about the stars, and instead he went out into the evening and he looked up. And he saw those stars for himself. That's what Easter is. It's an invitation to look for yourself. Don't rely upon some boring preacher up here trying to describe the wonder and the beauty of Easter. Look for yourself. I think I just leaned up against the lights here. I, uh... <laughs> Let there be light. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if we look for ourselves, we just may see eternity. We just may hear our name. Because Easter finds us. Thanks be to God. Christ is risen. Amen.